For the New York State AFL-CIO, I'm Darcy Wells, and this is Union Strong. It's been described as Norma Ray meets Hamilton, a union movie about a union story with a love story woven throughout. It's called Stand and is the number one Canadian movie musical that's now available in U.S. theaters virtually. On the phone with me to talk about the film is co-producer Danny Schur. Danny, welcome to the Union Strong podcast. Well, thank you. It's great to be here. So I introduced you as co-producer, but I know you also you wrote the film, music, lyrics, and score, which is impressive. Thanks. Yeah, uh, I juggle a few hats. Um, my favorite hat is composer, but just shows what you got to do to get a movie made. So I became producer, too. Well, I watched the movie last night, and I loved it. The music... You've got songs in there that really stick in your head. I mean, I found I was, you know, able to um, finish some of the songs after watching them. I found myself, um, you know, having them in my head later, even today. So I think that says a lot about uh, the, the quality of the music and what you put into it. So this is a film based on a true story from 1919 that really covers the core of what drives workers to stand up and fight for better wages and better working conditions, a, a better life. But this movie is about more than that. Can, can you give our listeners an idea of the story behind this that you're telling with Stand? Sure. So as you say, it's set in 1919, and it's set in my city. I'm in Winnipeg, Canada, which, for those who don't know, is four hours directly north of Fargo, uh, but just across the American-Canadian border. So in 1919, just like Seattle in February of that year, in May of that year, we had a general strike that lasted six weeks and that really changed the history of the country. I won't go into too much detail, but suffice to say, we have a third party, unlike the United States with a party on the right and a party on the left. We have a party further to the left than the centrist liberal party called the National Democratic Party. Well, it sprung from the events of 1919. So just really wide-ranging historic outcomes from that strike especially to labor. This is a story of biblical proportions to labor. And what I point out to people is that it's kind of like the Alamo to the United States. The Winnipeg general strike uh, wasn't just a labor story. That whole period was just a boiling cauldron of labor issues, race issues, uh, economic calamity. So, it's dramatic as hell. <laughs> it is. And, you know, and you mentioned Seattle from 1919 with the general strike. Mm-hmm. And so it set up kind of that same idea. You're right after the war. You've got soldiers are back. They're trying to go to their old jobs, which is how your, your movie starts out. Those are our jobs. We don't have a choice. We have to work where the government tells us or they deport Sokolowski, us. Sokolowski, you working or what? And right away, yeah. there's an issue yeah. because these companies are willing, and uh, you know, more than willing, to take in the immigrants rather than the soldiers returning because they're going to work for far less money, which is what uh, how things start out. Yep. And I point out that uh, 1919 was the summer of general strikes mm-hmm. all across the world because of the 
economic calamity of the post-war era and inflation was crazy. And so it was just everybody was starving. And then you add to that this return of the veterans from the First World War. And this is the summer that became the Red Summer. I thought that was a reference to a transplanting of the Bolshevik Russian Revolution and a reference to red communists. Well, it wasn't, <laughs> I found out. It was because all of the blood that was being shed that summer. In the United States, there were 26 white supremacist uh, riots. The soldiers that returned in those particular cities, largely the north, but then increasingly through the south, they returned to have those from the black community, mostly in the southern states that had migrated with the Great Migration to the North, seeking jobs and who had received jobs during the Second World War, now confronted with returned soldiers who wanted their jobs back. What we portray in the particular scene and stand is a bunch of non-black immigrants who encounter the same situation. So it was brutal. <laughs> And I thought it was interesting, um, you know, early on when they're starting to talk about it's time to stand up and to, you know, fight for better wages. Um, you have, I think it's uh, the, it's not Rebecca, it's um, who's the woman uh, who's playing? Helen, Helen Armstrong uh, is, I believe, who you're uh, referring to the uh, female. Um, labor activist. Right. And so is that so is that true to the story? It was a woman who kind of got everybody together for that first meeting, because I thought that was interesting that it was a woman. Yeah, uh, the great until now unreported story was the degree of female activists who mobilized whole neighborhoods. They went neighborhood by neighborhood, just as depicted in the movie. And Helen Armstrong, the hair in my arms is going up right now. She's just the most inspiring person from Canadian labor history. Look her up. It turns out she's buried in Los Angeles because towards the end of her life, she moved with her uh, daughter to live there, passed away there, is buried there. But look her up. They called her the wild woman of the West. She was like decades ahead of her time when some in the female activist community were uh, advocating for uh, female suffrage for women to be able to vote. Mm -hmm. They were simultaneously still advocating for the sterilization of some undesirable classes of society, read immigrant women. In that climate, Helen Armstrong was saying, this is so wrong. So she was uh, very much on the right side of history, uh, literally 50 to 60 years ahead of her time. And what's depicted in the movie is just about exactly what she was doing. And I used many of her words from her many recorded speeches. Sir, what I have to say affects all of you. Like all workers in this city, you're paid next to nothing. Prices have doubled, but your wages have not. Oh, that was powerful. And then your you had Emma. She's the refugee um, from racist violence in Oklahoma. And this was something that you added on later to this film, right? Tell me about that and how that came about. So we hired a Canadian director with much experience with musical movies, but usually musical 
dance movies. He was born in Sudbury, which you may know is a uh, major uh, steel town and a major United Steelworkers town. Uh, Robert's dad came from Nigeria, married a white German woman, and worked at USW in Sudbury. So Robert had that whole union background. He grew up as a person of mixed race in Canada. He's just like the, the perfect director ever. His first read of the film, he said to me, Dan, this story is incredible, but it's really white. <laughs> we just got to get some representation because you've just missed a whole chunk of the story, which is there were black people in Winnipeg. And there were indigenous people. So he said immediately, let's let's see which characters we can uh, make more representative. Well, that very day was February 1st, 2017, which is the start of Black History Month. I went to Black History Canada Month. Boom, there's a story that I read and I'm just, I'm shaking my head. I like to consider myself a decent amateur uh, historian, and I had completely missed how the Great Migration didn't end at that U.S. border that's just an hour south of us. Many people from Oklahoma, for example, went to Winnipeg and then west to Regina in Edmonton and Calgary. There was a First World War all-black regiment in Edmonton, in Alberta. So then I checked the census, and one-third of the quote-unquote help in the wealthy part of town was black. This is the women who were uh, domestics while well, their husbands worked as rail porters. That's the only job that uh, black men could have at that time that was unionized, that paid better. Um, so the character of Emma Jones, the emigre from Oklahoma, was born. My family came from Oklahoma 10 years ago, running from lynchings. My husband died fighting for this country. But now, they up and changed the law. You got this color skin, and they don't let you in no more. She's played by Lisa Bell, who's a Winnipegger. And um, as I'm sure you'll agree, and, and viewers that watch the movie will as well, she's just jaw-droppingly good. And she sings the title song. She was, and you know, another um, on that same uh, idea there. When you, another scene that stands out to me is when they're all in jail together, and there's another mm -hmm. great song, and you're, they're talking about the black men are talking about your concern. He's, you know, referring to the white people, people, um, uh, you know, from Ukraine and others that they're worried about deportation and what some of what they face. Tell me about that scene. That that's a great one too. So that's our certain nod to Black Lives Matter. That song has been in the musical since 2005 when I wrote it. And I should point out that the stage musical on which the movie is based is called Strike. When I wrote the song Stand, Robert, the director, was like, we are called the movie Stand, and that just kind of stuck. But that song, has, and it's called Better the Days, it's been in the show right from the beginning, since 2005, when it was a stage musical called Strike. But we changed the lyrics and had this great theme set up inside a jail where once there were black people present singing those words, it just became completely apparent 
the white people are not aware that uh, in worrying about being deported, mm -hmm. the black people are like, are you kidding me? Come to our side of the track sometime and see how we're being mistreated by the police. If you sneeze, deport him, deport him, didn't say please, deportable sleeves, stung by bees, deport him, lay with these, deport him, water some trees, deportable disease, deport him someone please. Better the day, so hope. So that song and singing becomes a little metaphor, well, quite a big one, for Black Lives Matter. And I wondered about that throughout. Do you think that this is relatable today? Oh, my God. Um, I wish I could say I'm such a great writer <laughs> that I uh, put all this stuff in on purpose. But it's kind of an accident of history that the circumstances of 1919 are so close to today and you know what happened on january 6th in bc i mean we're showing a guy from 1919 who has his own little twitter account he he controls a newspaper and he bashes out these mm -hmm. really provocative and absolutely factually incorrect headlines that his followers take for gospel truth he has a private extra judiciary army in effect mm -hmm. the white armband wearing specials this is a, a, an actual thing from history from the strike they did the bidding of this particular character from history and in the movie and acted as a sort of private vengeance army um the parallels just grow closer daily it, it was pretty remarkable. And, I and you know, in, in addition to the whole message there um, socially and uh, as far as what the labor movement was doing, you do have this love story woven throughout. So you have this father and son who come from Ukraine, and the son is immediately smitten with the neighbor, the Jewish neighbor, Rebecca. Um, and then there's a lot of twists and turns I didn't see coming that I don't want to be a spoiler that were great. Um, but tell me about that part of it. Why, you know, why bring that love story part into the movie? It's absolutely indicative of the era. Uh, when I spoke to a woman who at that time was well near 100, she said it was just a thing at that time in Winnipeg. Women, mostly from the Jewish community, left-leaning labor activist Jewish women, we're marrying left-leaning Christian men from the Mennonite community. Um, and there was a whole bunch of them. And she told me those stories. And she used the phrase, Catholic and a Jew, people were killed for less. And I put that line in the script. It just actually shook me to my core. At that time, I had friends who'd come from Bosnia and Serbia, and they said, had they stayed Another two weeks, one of them would have been killed. We forget how people's lives were in danger for that kind of interfaith romance. So that was going on at the time, especially in the left community. In my family, my auntie Jean, the Catholic, married Harvey Lee, a Jewish gentleman. And so all my life, I kind of had one foot in either culture. 
Um, you know, I, I was a pallbearer at Jewish funerals and I myself am Catholic and, um, my very dear and close cousin is Jean's daughter. So Jean was like Rebecca decades ahead of her time, a feminist, really strong. And I saw firsthand, they were married in the late forties, how difficult it was for interfaith marriages at that time. They had such a rough time from both sides of the family. I think it's safe to say interfaith marriages are still never easy. The interfaith romance is important because it is part of the history of that time, but it's also thematic of what's going on. What happens is in the movies, there's all these concentric circles of solidarity. There's solidarities between people of different ethnicity, of different race, and then that's just another concentric circle of solidarity that happens between a man and a woman of different religious backgrounds. It's all part of this boiling stew of that era. Another great scene that sticks out to me that I love the music, too, was when you had government and business owners on one side, and then you had the workers um, kind of drawing a line in the sand. I think it was maybe like midway in the movie. That was fantastic. That song is called Ultimatum. And uh, just as a songwriter, I was like, how the heck am I going to make this word work? Because that's what happens. Uh, The government said, ultimatum, either uh, give up your right to go on strike to join a general strike. And remember, this is a period when much union activity was illegal. And the vast majority, like 99%, said, screw that. They stayed off strike and um, called a bluff to the government's ultimatum. So that song that resulted is still a really cool song. And I happened to get the word ultimatum into a pop song that works in a musical. (laughs) It definitely worked. So um, this was, you know, it's a union film. I mean, there's union actors, you've got union production, uh, and you might think naturally it's for union members. But who do you see um, this film? Like, who is the ideal audience? Never mind the fact that it's great for, you know, young people to learn about labor history. But what do you have in mind for the ideal audience? Uh, One of the most gratifying things that I've ever been told, either in the lobby after the stage musical or in the lobby after the movie musical, was someone coming up to me saying, I'm not a labor activist. I don't even like musicals. And I loved this film. I learned so much. It was sort of a civics lesson, Mm -hmm. but it was entertaining. So... I'm hoping that we've done our job to that extent as writers, because really, you know, uh, no one wants to be preached to. Mm-hmm. This is not propaganda. It's just a great story that has a really strong labor undercurrent. But I think that's why critics say we're kind of like Norma Ray. Um, you don't have to be a labor activist to know that the character of Norma Ray is doing something utterly outstanding in that movie. So, you know, of course the natural home for this audience is labor, but I think this is, or I know this is a movie that can be enjoyed by 
people who enjoy history, mm-hmm. who like musicals. It's also a musical that doesn't make people who don't like musicals sick to their stomach. That feeling when someone starts singing in a musical <laughs> and you go, oh, no, they're singing. It just doesn't happen because it's a very natural. And I have to agree with that because I watched it with somebody who's not a fan of musicals. And um, and he found himself singing those songs afterwards. So it, it was he really enjoyed it. So that says a lot. And I think I think the summation of that is it's intended to be a musical that lovers of musicals like and that those that don't like musicals uh, can stomach. But here's what I always say about musicals. It's just better with butter. Sometimes an argument is best made with a song because when you hear the women say, all we want is $60, mm-hmm. and the men have just kept saying, and we need 80 you instantly figure out, wait a minute, the women are making way less. Exactly. And yet you still feel for both of them. So that's just what a song can do. Now I see the fool I played Cause all my worth is paid $50 That was great. Yeah, I love that message there. So tell us a little bit when it's virtual and it's released in the U.S. this month. How do people see this? So all anyone has to do is go to our website, stand-movie.com, and up comes a link under the ticket button that gives you a choice of any number of virtual theaters all across the United States. So the premise of virtual is that you can support an independent bricks-and-mortar theater. Half of the money goes to them. It's just like buying a ticket, but you can watch it in the comfort of your home. So if it's important to you to uh, support the theater geographically closest to you, you can look it up and go, oh, there's the one in New Hampshire. I'll choose that one. Or you can watch the feed from uh, Los Angeles, too. So that's one surest way to watch before the end of January. And then we're going to be doing the special union by union link version of that in the coming months as well. So, you know, if you're USW, there'll be a special USW feed. And um, that's the way we'll be rolling it out all over the next coming months. Well, that's great. I I will really encourage people to um, take the time to watch it. It was very good. And Danny, I know you have a lot going on, Danny Schur. So I want to thank you for joining me on the Union Strong podcast and um, sharing your movie with us. Thank you very much. Well, thank you. What a pleasure. I've drawn my line in the sand And this is where I stand On the strength of those shoulders Of those who stand up and never back down Joining me on the podcast now is our digital director, Kevin Eitzman, also the editor of the program. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Darcy. I know you were able to watch the movie, too, um, and that's great. And we were just talking at the end of the interview with Danny about it being all union actors, union production. I I wanted to point out, Danny's also a union member, a member of AFM, American Federation of Musicians. Um, so that's important to point out as well. And a third of the cost of the movie was supported by unions. Um, you know about that part of it. Tell us about that. Absolutely. So unions uh, bought the rights to 750,000 digital downloads for students. 
that's going to be um, starting in September of this year so that really they can get out and and give something to the students that they can learn a little bit about labor history of this important strike and mm-hmm. and get some entertainment at the same time. It's a it's a great movie to watch and uh, has a lot of uh, history and um, pieces that people can take back home and learn about the labor movement and learn about people coming together to take a stand. Yeah, and it is a really, it's a great way to learn. And there is so much that's relatable to today with what's happening all around us. So um, nice to talk about something um, with an entertainment value as well during uh, COVID with everything else going on. So, so Kevin, um, we can include uh, ways that people can watch the movie right on our website as well, too. Mm-hmm. Yep, we'll have how you can uh, watch the website in the month of uh, January, and then uh, we'll have information on where you can find it going forward. All right, sounds good. All right, thanks, Kevin. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Union Strong Podcast. If you like what you're hearing, you can subscribe and give us a rating. This has been a production of the New York State AFL-CIO. Our president is Mario Salento. Our secretary-treasurer is Terry Melvin. We're a federation of 3,000 unions representing 2.5 million union members, retirees, and their families with one goal, to raise the standard of living and quality of life of all working people. We keep New York State Union strong by fighting for better wages, better benefits, and better working conditions. For more information on the labor movement in New York, visit nysaflcio.org. Until next time, stay union and stay strong.